so today we want to um, continue on the back of two themes that have been running through the house, uh, which are what we've been speaking about, being awakened by God, haven't we? We've been speaking about waking up in the garden under the apple tree, areas that were numb and dumb in, being awakened to the thoughts of God, and also in and amongst that with authentic um, beginning to understand what we have been given and what we are to do with it, okay? So, this morning's message we have entitled, Awakening the Valiant Man and Woman. Okay, so let's begin with a simple definition of the word valiant. Valiant simply means possessing or showing. This is feeding back slightly. Is it mine? Hang on, let's just see what happens. Possessing or showing courage or determination. Okay, so quite an easy, simple definition to grasp. Yes? So when we think of valiant people, who do we think of? Maybe you think of soldiers, fighting men. Maybe your mind thinks a bit differently. Maybe you think of explorers who go out into the unknown. Maybe you think of sports people who push themselves to the limit. Maybe, let's take it in a different direction. You would use Valiant to speak about a mother who is raising her children after the loss of a, of a partner as someone who refuses to allow a disability to define what they can do. There is many, many ways in which we can use the word valiant, yeah? You might apply that word or the action of being valiant in different ways and many different situations. We say that's right? Yeah. So, God wants us to be valiant sons and daughters who go and do the will of the Father. But if we look at the church nationally as a whole, do we see a valiant church? Do we see valiant people who show courage and determination to spread the message of Jesus Christ? I think if we look at it as a whole, we can safely say the answer is no. Individuals. Individuals. One, two. Okay. So, as we were looking at this, Paul and I, and as we were going through scripture, there were several things that the Lord highlighted to us. So, I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Samuel 9, verse 20. And I want you to keep this open in your Bible because I'm going to keep flicking back to this as we go through. You're all there. So it says, as for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. This is Samuel, by the way. This is Samuel speaking to Saul. As for the donkeys you lost three days ago, do not worry about them. They have been found. And to whom is all the desire of Israel turned, if not to you and your whole family line? Saul answered, 
But am I not a Benjaminite from the smallest tribe of Israel? And is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Looking at that whole context of being valiant and courageous, I think one of the key areas that can stop us from stepping into that which God has given us is a sense of our own inferiority based upon our heritage and culture, the place that we come from, where we've come from. And we can struggle to accept the things God has given us because of our perception of where we come from and maybe how we measure up to others. And Phil spoke last week, he, he spoke about Lot's wife syndrome and he said about how we're so busy looking back that we're not actually moving forward. I found that really, really good way to kind of look at this. We're so busy looking back where we've come from and that we allow that to limit us so that we never are actually moving forward. Yeah, and I, th and I think we've got to look at, we are in a multicultural society. So how people perceive themselves is very different. We have a, a great mixture of cultures in this house i know i've spoken to some of um of our african guys here and you know as a obviously as a white man my inferiority complex can be different because i you know that there's this this whole thing of being a black person in a white man's country you know or there's the you know you can be you can have the same degree the same qualification as a white person but yet somehow you somehow you're in you feel inferior well, how does that work? That's not right. And in the, in the, when you say it out loud, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? You do the same job. You just say, you've gone through the same degree, the same qualifications. You've done the same, you put in the same hours. You should be paid the same. And you should, so therefore, you should be able to feel the same. But the reality is many of us don't. And there's a complex that comes culturally. Well, you know, I grew up on a council estate. So my family's expectancy of life is just to get benefits. You know, I work with people all day and they call benefits the wages. They go, well, have my wages come in yet? And it's not the wages, it's the benefits or whatever. But it, it's, it's, there's, a, there's an inferiority or there is a, there's this, this thing of, well, that's all I'm going to get out of life. Because that's where I came from. That's where my, my family came from. You know, there's the inferiority of someone, when you, a single person compared to America. Well, because I've not, so I'm inferior. Because I haven't got this part of my life. There's so many different aspects of why we call ourselves inferior. Or why we perceive ourselves in such a way that we exclude ourselves from receiving the truth when God begins to speak to us. And I think this house is a great example of the, the diversity of, of, our, of society. But also we have to acknowledge that within this house is the diverse uh, is a diverse array of reasons of why we just like Saul would say but I'm just a Benjamite why would you even say something like that to me why are you just why it's almost like it's, it's almost like why are you trying to give me some sort of hope why are you trying are you mocking me are you mocking me by by telling me this it's almost rather than receive it for what it is almost are you mocking me you're actually taking the mick out of me here because you're trying to, because quite clearly in my mind, no one ever would say that about me. 
Nobody would give me that position. Nobody would speak to me in that way. And I think we have to start to... Now, look, as we know, this is just one area. But this is a huge area that each of us, in different ways, face. So I'm going to skip forward a little bit to uh, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 1. And he said, Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? I mean, that's a pretty big thing. <laughs> I don't know about you, but... I know Phil spoke about kind of putting your, you sometimes put yourself in the shoes of the person that you're reading about. I think if somebody kind of walked up to me and said, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over, over all his inheritance? There's kind of be a bit of a level of responsibility at that point that would suddenly drop. But skip forward to verse nine. As Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. When he and his servant arrived at Gibeah, a procession of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he joined in their prophesying. When all of those who had formerly known, known him saw him prophesying with the prophets, they asked each other, what is this that happened to the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? So we see that Saul received the message from God through Samuel and was anointed, yes? His heart was changed and he was filled with the Spirit and was able to boldly prophesy and worship amongst other prophets, yeah? Still with me? To such an extent that people commented and saw a visible change. But... He was prophesying and worshipping in the company of other believers. Although some of us still struggle, even with this, prophesying and worshipping amongst other believers, for many of us it's safe to say we have become more comfortable in being spiritual around other believers, specifically in a church setting. And for many of us, there's evidence of a heart that is being changed by God. Yes? However, let's just carry on in the story. Sorry, go on. We've got to look at this as church. Is this not a similar church? So we receive the message of Jesus Christ. Yeah? Can you say that? We are anointed by the Holy Spirit. Still agree? So there is a change in our hearts. Would we all agree when Christ enters your heart, something changes? Right. So we can get, we're okay. So Saul's changing just like you can change, we change. And there is a visible difference. So now you're exposed to other worship. You're exposed to things of the spirit. And I think we're quite a spiritual church in that sense. Would you, would you agree? Our worship is, it's, we're not, we're not, we're not hymns. This is not like our father who art in heaven. You know, we're not that kind of church. Yeah. So we're an expressive church. And it's easy to show there is evidence. You can see that there is a change in this. Now, I know not all of us are are, are, are going to say, I prophesy all the time. That's fine. But we have prophetic worship, do we not? Were we not just doing something this morning? Yeah? So, So we can get quite good. And those around us can go, wow, look at Kath. 
Isn't she doing great? Isn't she prophesying She's in that environment? And each of us have got quite good at feeling like we're developing in this environment. In this environment. And if you, surround, if you just talk to your Christian circle of friends in this house, we can feel quite good. Does that make, yeah? Come on, it's, it's okay, you can be honest. <laughs> because that's, it, you know, if I look at myself, and I look at myself when I'm in work, and I look at myself here, it, this is the place where I feel I'm, I'm expressive. This is the place where I feel I'm most bold. This is the place where I feel I am most confident. And we see this in Saul. He met, there was a procession of worshippers, and, pro- and they were going for it. They were going for it. These guys weren't, weren't, weren't just like, high. they're on the way. They're on the road. They're not even in a church. They're on the road, and they're just going for it. And he's like, I'm, I'll, I'll go hung-ho too. It's easy when you're surrounded by people like that. Yeah? Okay. So if we skip forward to still chapter 10, verse 21. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and I want to say Matri's or <laughs> Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself amongst the supplies. They ran and brought him out. And as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. So we see with Saul, when it came to the point of Saul taking his position before men, because this was before Israel, he was nowhere to be found. And I think if we look at the church as a whole, as we were saying before, we as the church have been guilty of being nowhere to be found in the places where society needs us the most. We have hidden ourselves from sight. Yeah? We have a big poster up here that says, high visibility, maximum impact. But if you can't be seen, you're not really going to have much of an impact. (laughs) Yeah, I was just thought you were going to say something. So rather than being the supply that people needed... Instead, Saul was found hiding amongst the supplies. And I think if we're honest sometimes, we can say that we've all been guilty of staying within the storehouse of God, but never actually taking the supply out to those who need it. Not so many amens. Uh, It's almost like we've become... We can become hoarders of our own supply. Yeah? So hoarders of our own supply rather than being that supply to others. Yeah? We used that, that scripture this morning from Isaiah. You know, that's about becoming that supply to others. You know, that, that's what that is. You are that stream in the desert. And you are these, you know, that's being a supply. Can you imagine, can you imagine if you put yourself in, the, in, a, in a sense of, so everyone's starving outside, and there's a big grain, of, there's a big barn full of grain, and you're sat 
in the middle of all the grain, but you're not telling everyone else where the grain is. And you're not willing to fill your pockets with grain and then take it and give it to anyone. That is essentially what the church has become. We've heard so many times, Pastor Tony and Philip said, we've become spiritually fat. So we love going to a conference. We love having worship. We love having breakthrough worship. We love having prayer for our needs. We love being filled with the Spirit for our needs. We love to be able to talk about how to break through in this area, in this area, in that area. We talk about how the Holy Spirit does things. But Saul, where the people needed their king to stand up, he was found where all the supply was. This is the church. This is, the, this is what we've become. We're so good at talking about the supply and giving each other the supply and allowing the Lord to pour out the supply. We've got enough for a lifetime and more. But we forgot where the door is. We forgot where the wheelbarrow is to take it out. We forgot how to carry the supply that God has poured out. So we talk about the supply room of God and we're good at being there. We're just not good at being able to take it out when it comes to standing before men. Stand before each other. Oh, I'll, I'll give you my supply hands. Absolutely, I'll give oh, shab, bah, bah, bah. I can give out all of that. But take me, out, take me to that front door and across the road. I've, I, it's, it's like we just suddenly forget all of the supply that we, that we carry. We seem to completely and utterly be emptied of everything that has been given to us. And this is what we saw with Saul. So when Saul was eventually brought out before the people, he was able to stand a head taller than the others. Yeah. I, he could be seen above any of the others. I mean, we've got some tall guys in our congregation. You know, I'm looking at Z, looking at Peter. Peter. Oh, looking uh, at Phil. Phil, yeah, sorry. Phil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he was a head taller. <laughs> he could be seen quite easily in a crowd, yeah? If we stand in the true identity of who God has called us and anointed us to be, do you know that you will stand tall before men? Without fear or intimidation, because that is the spirit of a valiant man and woman. Yeah? That's what it is. To stand that head taller. Don't mean you're better. Yeah? Doesn't mean look at me, aren't I? Wonderful. No, it's that you've been called and anointed. God's called and anointed you to stand in that place. And we say, don't we, he's given us everything that we need. But to stand there without fear or intimidation of men. Yeah? yeah? We've become intimidated about the very core things that we believe. When, because society doesn't necessarily agree with us. We've become completely and utterly inferior to the fact that you're not for abortion. Or not for abortion. So you can say that boldly here, but you get outside there and all of a sudden we become feel inferior because all of a sudden we should be pro-choice. But, right, but we don't stand on the, in, the, in what God has given us. We don't stand and be determined to, 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 to allow people to see that. We just feel intimidated. So it's not like you change your belief, but you stop airing your belief. We stay silent. We are nowhere to be found. You're there, but you're not there. Now, abortion is just the first thing that pops into my head. But you take a look at the way 
views in society have gone. We have the same God yesterday, today, and forevermore. So the truth that we stand for does not change. But the opinions of men are constantly changing. But we have forgot how to stand and, and let our true position be seen because we don't like being unpopular. Or because we're afraid of what might happen. Or because we're afraid that because I'm just a Christian, because now being a Christian, we've somehow allowed our psyche to go, being a Christian is not a good thing. In the, well, we're just part of religion. Well, no one likes religion. Because religion is all about wars and about violence and about judgment. This has come into our being. This has started to take effect of who we are. And not, not just that, but I'm just a Christian from Drawlsden. Well, who's going to listen to me compared to Google Guy 75 on Facebook, who's, got, who's a real keyboard warrior and has got all the answers of the world? Because we allow other people that we don't even know to influence and to, to reduce that which we are. And this is exactly what Saul did. It's great. He was great in this environment. He was great around those certain people. But the moment he had to step up, the moment he had to walk up before men, he ran to the place he knew was safety, which was the supplies. Rather than being the supply, he just ran away. And he didn't want to be found. But it goes on. Yeah. We jump down to, to verse 26. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrels said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and bought him no gifts. But Saul kept silent. This was the key point that God showed us here with this scripture. We see that Paul was accompanied on his journey home that's where he was going, by men whose hearts had been touched by God. But not just men. It doesn't just describe them as men. It describes them as valiant men. Men who carried the heart of God with courage and determination. Again, the spirit of a valiant man or woman. However... Even when Saul was surrounded and accompanied by valiant people, Saul allowed himself to be intimidated by the opposition and he remained silent. Just because you are with valiant people doesn't mean you are valiant. It's... It's one thing for our heart to be changed, but it's another to carry and display courage and determination in doing what it's called us to do. Yeah? It's a, it's a journey, isn't it? We know we've spoken a lot about running the race, and here we actually see Saul is, is on his journey home. And guess what? We are all on a journey home. Yeah, we're all on our journey home. But on that journey home, how valiant are we willing to be? So, 
just to give us some words. Anyone heard of Gideon? All right. So, similar traits here. Gideon. God spoke to Gideon. I'm with you. You're going to do this crazy, awesome thing. What are you on about, God? I'm just the least of my tribe. I am in the least of the least of tribes. So, what on earth are you on about? So, we know the story. Yeah? So, we know there comes a point that Gideon has to get over himself. And he has to realize he's got to go and be obedient to that which God is calling him to. Yeah? So, he starts to announce himself. wouldn't quite say he's valiant, but he's realized I've got to be obedient. So... He then gathers all the troops from everywhere. And there's about 32,000 troops that he gathers. And there's this scripture that in Judges 7, 3, it says this. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Now, here's a question for y'all. Here's a question. If you were given the opportunity not to have to go into all the world and proclaim Jesus and stand for that which we believe, but you wouldn't be judged, this is just a straight choice. You can do it, but you don't have to do it. How many of you would stay and how many of you would go? Are you a 10,000 or are you a 22,000? Asked us on a postcard. (laughs) Now, unfortunately, you don't have that choice. Well, you do have that choice, actually. You do have that choice. And each of us, and the fact that the reason why we're talking about the church in this negative context is because people are making their choices every day. And we are making our choice every day. And I know sometimes we have a good day, sometimes we have a bad day. But when we look at the church, now we can't control all of the church. And there are some awesome people in the church. I'm just going to put that. So I'm not, I will not slay in the whole church. But the reality is, guys, is that the church doesn't have a proper voice in this nation. And the local communities are suffering because the the local church has not found its voice in the nation. And the local church is not a valiant house. Inside the doors may be, but no one knows you're there. See, 22,000 soldiers. God knew, God knew when he said to them, the army's too big. Why did he say the army's too big? Because it says in Scripture that if you go and win this victory with 32,000 men, you'll take all the credit. And you'll say it was all about you. But Christ did not come to us and the Holy Spirit did not come to us so we could go out in our own strength. We go out in his strength. It's his strength that we walk out in. And, and, but, but given the choice... How many of us in our hearts, because of the way we perceive ourselves, of we perceive society, or perceive our, uh, what we're capable of, how many of us would be one of the 22,000? We just go home. I'll go back to my safe place. I'll go back to where, I've, where I'm always comfortable. I'll go back to where I know I'm not going to get any opposition. And we have to really soberly look at ourselves and go, actually... 
If I were to say, no, I'm one of the 10,000, what evidence could you bring forward? We have to ask ourselves this question. We have had to really ask ourselves this week this question. And I'm telling you, we haven't come up top trumps. We haven't, as a leader especially, it's easy to think you're doing the work of Christ because you speak in church. But I'm a son, you're a son. I'm a, she's a daughter, you're a daughter. We still have to do the same thing. We have different graces. We'll come on to that. But God is not looking for any man. He's looking for the man that will carry his heart and represent him accurately. And in order to represent him accurately and well takes determination. Because you've got to learn how to fight against your flesh. You've got to learn how to fight against the heart. You've got to learn how to, to fight in the spirit. And it's making a conscious decision every single day. Amen? See, how many people did Gideon win the war with? 300. And they all had a trumpet. And they all made a racket. But we won't go to that. We'll go, we'll, we'll, we haven't got time to go with that. So, now, M, I've just noticed we haven't talked about anything from the New Testament. We've only talked about things from the Old Testament. That's true. That's bad, isn't it? Should we give you some New Testament references? All right, then. <laughs> I'm glad I asked you to ask me that question. <laughs> Why don't we turn our Bibles to Acts? Is this making sense so far? Yeah. I'd like to make sure this is making sense. This is, not a bash, this is not about bashing us. This is about being honest and real, about highlighting just some. You know, everything we're talking about is not the keys on how to suddenly become the greatest evangelist in the world. But we have to start acknowledging certain things about ourselves in order to bring about a change. Yeah? yeah? Now, one of the things that Phil... Spoke. Your name's getting mentioned a lot, isn't it, at the moment? Honestly. <laughs> um, for those of you who've been to Authentic Sonship, and Phil's been speaking about the purpose and power of Pentecost. And one of the things that really kind of resonated in me was when he just said the word and they were in one accord. And then you look at that poster at the back, this is a rise, advance, accelerate, and execute. Mm -hmm. And they're all there in the same uniforms, and they've got the shields and the spears and the furry hats, and they've got it all going on. <laughs> they look good. But, but we thank God for the New Testament to show us a pattern, to show us a way. Now, this is just some of the things that we feel God has, has laid in our hearts to share. And... We look at Pentecost. Let's go through a little bit of, just a little bit of backstory. So we know that Pentecost started with how many? 120. But there was originally about 500. So we know that, like the 22,000 in, Gil in, in Gillet, some of them walked away. They couldn't, they couldn't hack it. They were, they, their hearts failed them. Fear came over them. And for other reasons, they walked away. But there was 120 who were left. And the apostles were there. And we know that on the day of Pentecost, 
another, and I think this is, I want you to, to picture this and carry this through. When Peter, when Peter, when they were being made fun of because they were being drunk because they were speaking in tongues, did Peter go, yeah, yeah, okay, guys, let's just go indoors and let's just be quiet? Or did he stand there with the 11 by his side and boldly speak to them? And did not 3,000 come that day? So we see a valiant spirit in Peter. Well, let's have a look a little bit more. I want us to really look at this. This, this is in Acts 3, verse 1, 7. These scriptures should be really familiar to most of you. So I'll read them. I'll read them anyway. So one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. So what were they doing? Were they going out to preach the gospel? No, they were just going to church, if you put it that way. They were going to pray. So that's no different than you when you got up this morning and you left your house and you're coming to church. Can we agree on that? All right. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple, to, uh, the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, which is just you walking through the doors here, so there's a beggar that's been sat on the church steps because he can't walk, and you're about to walk into church. Just imagine yourself like this. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Right, so is Peter on his own? Who's he with? Right. Keep that in mind. When, so then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. I was in a um, training course yesterday, and I heard something that really impacted me. Quite simple, really, but they said... Do you know that there is a difference between willingness and readiness? And they use the analogy of going on a journey. So before you go on a journey, if you're going on this long trip, on this car journey, if you're like me, maybe if you're not like Paul, if you're like me and you're quite organised, you will make uh, sure that not, you not get... Like me. <laughs> prepared before you go so for me I would look at the route I would need to take I would look at the supplies that I would need to put in the car for the journey yeah but knowing you are going on a journey I might be willing to go on that journey but if I get to that place where I get into my car and I'm about to leave am I ready If I've not looked at my route and I've not got the supplies in that I need for the journey, you know, your imperial, mint imperials in the, in the car or, you know, your bag of crisps, whatever it is you take with you. If, if I'm not ready to go, 
then I'll know. What's, I don't know about you, but whenever we get in the car, what's, what's the phrase you always say? For us, we're like, are we ready? Are we ready to go? Have we got everything? Right, let's go. But it really opened my eyes to see we can be willing, but are we actually ready? Are we ready to do what we need to do? Are we ready? Are we in a state of readiness all the time? And when you look at this scripture, Peter and John were in a state of readiness. They, were, they weren't going out to preach the gospel. They were, going, they were going to church. They were going to pray. But still within that, they were in that constant state of readiness. Yeah, always to give. So yes, a, a willingness is an acknowledgement to do something. Readiness is, is, is doing whatever it takes to do it. Yeah. You see, when we go outside the doors, we're not just going, you know, and I think just to dispel, when we, when we go out, often for years and years and years, I always think if someone says you've got to go out and, and, spread the God, and spread the message of Jesus, that means I've got to stand on the street corner and shout my Bible in the air and go, oh, repent, repent. And, and it's, it, you get those kind of, you know, the crazy people you see do that. Although some of them are great and obedient people, just to put a thing on there. But some of them look crazy from the outside. And, you, and I'm not saying, I, I, I challenge any of you to tell me you've not walked past some of them and cringed a little bit. Because yeah. I have. Because I've seen there are some of the responses. And, I've, and it's no different than when you walk past the Mormons. Because there they, they park outside my, my branch all the blinking time. <laughs> and I can see my customers doing that, literally walking around. I don't, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. <laughs> it's one of those, yeah? And that's how we always imagine that that's what it is to take the message out. No, these guys didn't preach anything. They just said, I don't have the money you're looking for, but I have something better. Let me just, in the name of, in, in the, the name of, in Jesus of Nazareth's name, walk. He spoke about half a dozen words and changed someone's life because he was ready. But he wasn't alone. They were ready. And I think one of the things that we're going to see in a minute is that we constantly isolate in our minds that, yes, you have a responsibility, but we are a body. Yes. When you always think of a, of a job on your own, it always feels bigger. Does it not? When you're on your own, what is it? One may slay a thousand, but two may slay... Right. And I think sometimes we, we, we forget we are part of a body. And the work that God has got has many different expressions. Has many different expressions. But we must begin to understand who are the people around us that we see that valiant spirit in. We must take responsibility to go and be ready to do that which God wants us to do. But we must also start to look around and go, who can come with me? And if you look through the New Testament, whether it's Paul, whether it's the apostles, they never went on their own. So why do we think we need to do everything on our own? We must have a responsibility to be ready. Okay. Where are we now? Okay. So now we continue the story on. So now... They've, so, so now with this, this guy's been healed. He starts standing up. He's jumping around. Everyone in the temple's going, oh, my Lord. 
what is going on here? And they're amazed and they're astonished. And, and then at that point, they then give an opportunity for Peter and John to begin to declare who Jesus is. See, you don't need to go and bump in someone and go, excuse me, can I just tell you all about Jesus? By the way in what we carry, it'll come to you. The opportunity will come to you if you're ready. When you're ready, it's about a state of readiness. He didn't need, well, just give me a second. I need to go and give me a week and I'll get a sermon and I'll bring it together and then I'll come back and I'll teach you. No, why? Because the moment was there. These people had just seen a miraculous sign of God. Just like that lady who we talked about in Canada has had a miraculous sign of God. Because she, she, was, she was on the path of death. And as her husband saw it, as we began to declare it, all of a sudden now she's turned around. Someone needs to take, be ready to begin to speak the name of Jesus to her. You are like you are because. This is happening to you because by the power of God. Because otherwise, people will see miraculous things and they will attribute it to something else. Because we live in a society that if you pray for someone and they get healed and you don't say it's Jesus, they'll just think, well, wasn't that nice? But what you don't know is who else might say, well, this was Allah. This was something else. This was science. This doesn't matter what it is. As human beings, we want to find an answer to something. But, it, but if you, we do not declare what it is, someone else will give them a reason instead. That's why we must be determined and we must be brave and courageous to say the name Jesus in public. You know, for a lot of Christians, just to say the name Jesus without going, Jesus. I always, I always get this sense that people use the name of Jesus in the, way, in the same way they say the word sex. It's like, we can't say sex. You've got to say it really quietly. <laughs> sex. Why? Because it's a naughty word. And you can't say it out loud. Because you might think you offend someone. Somehow we, we seem to attribute the same thing when we use the word name Jesus. But it's the most beautiful name there is in all existence. Yeah? So, we carry on. So remember now in Saul. Saul, what did Saul do? Saul was surrounded by valiant men. So we now know Peter's got sur- surrounded by valiant people. But as soon as opposition came, what happened to, to Saul? He went quiet. Alright, let's have a look at in um, Acts Four, I think it is, yeah. Acts 4, 1 to 10. So the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in, in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they stuck them in jail the next day. Well, wasn't that nice? That's a way to try and bring you back to earth, isn't it? But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. So despite them being treated badly, the word was still bearing fruit, okay? The next day, the rulers and the elders and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And um, Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Cephas, John, Alexander, and some other guys. Now... They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question. Right, so all of a sudden now, you are being brought before and you are being challenged. So now is the truth of how much courage and how much determination have these guys got to stand in the midst of men. 
And this is how Peter, now I, now I did a Phil thing here, and I put myself in Peter's shoes, and I tried to hear how Peter said it, and this is kind of how I came up with So, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, the same one that you received in the storehouse, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people. So he wasn't speaking quietly. This is my interpretation now. Peter was not speaking quietly. He wasn't. Uh, rulers and people, rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. He was not about to take, to pass up this opportunity. Valiant men and women know when an opportunity is presenting themselves and filled by the Spirit of God, they take it with both hands. We must become people who learn to take every opportunity that God presents us and having confidence that we are filled with the Holy Spirit, grab hold of it with both hands. This is a valiant, these, this, this is a valiant people. He only had his mate John next to him. That's all he had. But that was enough. His conviction in Christ and his brother by his side. It didn't matter how many of the priests were in. There was a whole, a whole range of them, gathering of them that were stood before him. And you know, they've been in jail all night, you know, to try and dampen the spirits. Because you know when something spiritual happens and we see a healing, we're all, woohoo, it's really great. But nothing like someone taking you right out of that to bring you back to earth. Yeah? If we go out there, people are going to try and bring us back down to earth. People are going to try and question us. doesn't mean they're going against you. It just means they're questioning you. Right. But Peter, filled by the, by the same Holy Spirit at Pentecost, faced his accusers head on with courage and determination. And he refused to be intimidated. And Peter was not alone. And this is the next scripture. And I think this, is, this ties in exactly to where we've been talking as a house with Pastor Tony specifically. And it says this in uh, Acts 4.13. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men. Right, stop right there. They were unschooled, and they were just ordinary men. They were not, we read these scriptures and think, wow, these are supernatural-like kind of guys. You know, big muscles, beautiful hair, great looks. They must have had it all going for them. They must be the most, you know, they had those personalities that everyone just loves, and they've, you know what I mean? You can kind of create some false understanding of who these guys were. Chances are Peter could have been a guy. He had a tooth missing. He was a little bit, he wasn't, he wasn't the greatest looker. He was not particularly very smart. Well, we know from scripture he wasn't very smart. <laughs> they were just ordinary men that had ordinary jobs, that did ordinary things. But they had an extraordinary God. And it says, so that, so that they saw this courage that they were unschooled, they were ordinary men, and they were astonished. And here's the thing I want you to understand. They took note that these men had been with Jesus. When we 
are in the garden. See, in order for us to be awakened to this valiant spirit, it's who have you been spending your time with? We cannot become valiant men and women if we do not know the one who we are representing. And the way I feel that we've been talking about being awakened, the awakening is, 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 is we'll learn as we talk about this awakening, it covers many, many things. And it's expanding all the time. God is really beginning to show us the leadership, this, the vastness of what God wants us to awake to. But if we cannot, we can, if we cannot relate with Jesus in that intimate place and know him in that to the point where someone can say, I took note that you must have been with Jesus. When we speak and when we, and we do whatever it is that we're doing, in whatever God has given us to do, there must be something that says, you've been with Jesus. I, there's something about who you've been with. Where, or, there, or to a lot of people go, who have you been with? And where have you been? Because there's just something about you. That causes you to talk the way you do. Because people don't talk like that anymore. Because that's the valiant spirit that God is wanting to awaken in each one of us. <coughs> and on their release, now this is the next part. I know that so I want to go through some, some characters of, of what we see here before we, as we finish. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. When a company of people are touched and become awakened by the position they have been given, they only look forwards and they are never willing to retreat. They'd just been through a bit of a rough day. And it says after they, after, after Peter had proclaimed Jesus to them, these guys knew they couldn't do anything at that point because the guy that had healed was literally just stood right with them, going, hi, <laughs> look at me, I'm walking. So they couldn't do anything. But all they did was they just warned them and they abused them. And they threatened them and then told them to get lost. But the response was not to, well, we, we better not do that again. Well, we got away with it this time, but let's just be a bit more daft next. Let's, just, let's not be as daft. Let's just be, be careful. Maybe we shouldn't pray for healing over someone next time. Maybe we'll just keep ourselves to ourselves or we'll just invite them to come to the church and we'll just do that. No, these people didn't do that because they, there was only one way they were going. There was only way they were looking. Because it wasn't just one. They were a company of people. A valiant person, another point, a valiant person will take a threat into prayer and push with determination until they see a breakthrough. When something comes against you, we have the power of prayer. So in order to be valiant, there is also about being valiant in your prayer or in your prayer closet. It's about the ability that they, but not just individually, but corporately, they came together. How many times have we seen that when we've been in our building the spirit sessions and we have broke through 
There are many people here from different nations because we prayed to the north, the south, the east, and the west. Because we knew that's where God was calling us, and we refused to accept any other outcome than the one God had said. We must be able to find a place to see that prayer is an ability to keep fighting the war. We win, more, we win so many battles in prayer so that when we do walk outside, you know the battle's already won before you've stepped outside. And a valiant person, and I think this is, and a valiant, a valiant person attracts the presence of God. A valiant person attracts the presence of God, especially when they speak. See, he comes to empower and strengthen them to speak and act with even more boldness and power. So how did God respond to them? They shook the place where they were and he gave them even more. Because he saw that they were willing to work with what they had. So then because they were willing to work with what they had and they recognized they had difficulties and they had limitations... So they responded by going, God, we refuse to retreat, so we now need you more than we did a minute ago. So then the Holy Spirit came in power again and gave them even more boldness. And gave them the, and he filled the gap that they didn't have. The lack that they had, he brought it to them. Are we seeing this picture? We're beginning to see that this is the church that God wants us to be. These are the people that he's asking us and desiring us to be. He wants to awaken the valiant spirit inside of us where we're willing and ready. It doesn't matter what the opportunity is. It doesn't matter whether it's just a simple thing of praying for someone in a corner. It doesn't matter whether it's just telling people who you are and what you believe. It doesn't matter what it is. It's the ability to, to represent Christ Boldly before men. As we finish, oh, we got any more? We've got them to work out what to miss out. There's more than we've wrote down that we can do. Oh, I think it's important to point out that with Paul, yeah. not, me. not that one, <laughs> the Apostle Paul, it says in 1 Corinthians, I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. And then in Ephesians, although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ. Paul wasn't without his own weaknesses, his own inferiority problems. However, he allowed the truth of what he'd been enabled to do by the grace of God through faith and really key obedience to press on towards his goal and to run his race, yeah? That is part of being valiant, that we are not doing it in our own strength. It's being able to do the work of the, the, the Father despite your own weakness, yeah? We cannot be this picture. We cannot arise, advance, accelerate, and execute his will without a spirit of courage, or our flesh will always think fear. All those expressions of fear that, that Phil covered really well last week, those expressions of fear will begin to come out. But our spirit must always see victory through Christ. It's the victory that Christ accomplishes that enables us to go and do, yes? 
So we talk, and I think the Apostle Paul also said in, in Corinthians 2 Corinthians 11, he says, but I do not think I'm in least, in the least inferior to those super apostles talking about false prophets. But he says, I may not be a trained speaker. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. And we, remember the word we, have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. The Apostle Paul gave what was given to him. Whatever has been given to you, you might not be a trained speaker. You may be, we, we, are, well, we are all ordinary people on a fleshly level. We are all ordinary people with ordinary lives and ordinary jobs, with ordinary families, but through him we are extraordinary. We are, and what we have to, but without the spirit, the spirit of, of courage and determination, we will always think about and think, I am, I, I am willing to accept that I must do these things. But I will always end up being found amongst the supplies rather than being the supply. And we, uh, we touched on the seed this morning. So in Luke 10, 2, it says, he t- Jesus told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. See, it is time for the workers to go into the fields to love, stand, speak, sow, proclaim, help, encourage, work, and pursue those who are waiting to be saved. Do you realize there are those who are waiting to be saved? As I was praying about this the other day, God just began to show me pictures of people sat in flats and environments. And, and they're just they're sat there with no hope, waiting for someone to give them some good news. There are couples who feel they've got no future. There are single people who feel that life has escaped them. There are individuals that feel no one's going to come to me. There are older people that are lonely, younger people that are addicted. And they're waiting for someone. Just someone to come and give them some hope. We just have to be ready. Ready. And it takes a bit of courage. And it takes a bit of determination. Because sometimes the first time, you don't get a bite. Because people are wounded. People are hurt. Some people are arrogant. That's fine. But we're not going in our, in our strength. We're going in his strength. But we have to be willing and ready to fight for those that God loves. Amen? Let's just stand together. So let a valiant spirit arise in your heart today. Do not be one of the 22,000 who chose to go home, but, we, but be one of the 120 in Acts who stayed and changed the course of history for the glory of he who saved us. Let's be that 120. Let's be that company of valiant men and women. That's all it takes, guys. A company who are together, who back each other. Each of us in this room have different skills and graces. And God has put us together in such a way that we work as a body to see the body of Christ function in such a way that we are able to add to our number. And daily, those were being added to their number. We cannot do it alone, but you have not been designed to do it alone. But you must take a responsibility this morning to take that heart of courage, to be a valiant. Say, Lord, today I want to be a valiant son and daughter. I make a decision. Don't ask him for courage. Make a decision that says, Lord, I'm going to be ready. 
whatever you need me to do, I'm going to get myself ready to, with courage and determination to not allow my inferiorities on whatever it is, my fears, to rob me of that which you have given me. So come on, right now, let's just begin to pray right now. Father God, we awaken us. Awaken the valiant spirit inside us, oh God, this morning. Father, awaken the valiant spirit. Let us be known as those who have been with Jesus Christ. Let it be known that they have taken note of who we dwell with, who we walk with, who we talk with. Father God, awaken a valiant spirit, not a spirit of Saul, not a spirit of timidity, but Lord God, a spirit of power, a spirit that says, I will go in the name of Jesus. I will not be intimidated by the voice of men, but I will be obedient to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Come on, begin to ask God right now. Begin to make your declaration. Lord, from this day, help me to be ready. Help me to be ready to take every opportunity to take that responsibility. Oh, Father God, right now. Father, turn our hearts towards those who you are calling. Turn our hearts towards those who are waiting for salvation to come through us. It's time to stop being amongst the supply. It's time to become the supply for our nation. It's time to become the supply for your family. It's time to become the supply for your friends. It's time to become the fly for your, the, 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 the supply for your communities. This is the time. This is the season. The harvest field is ready. The harvest field is ready. Oh, let the workers arise this morning. Let the workers arise this morning. Almighty oh, God. Let the workers begin to arise, Lord. Take hold of us, Lord, Lord, this morning. Take hold of us this morning. Father, let us be those people who, like Peter said, silver and gold I do not have. But what I have, what I carry, I give to you. Father, let this be the awakening that happens in every heart in this room. Father, let this house be a representation of the 120 in the upper room where they were in one accord. And we stop hiding away. And we become the people who you've destined us to be. Yes. Father, we thank you and give you glory. In yes. Jesus' name, all God's people said. Amen. All right, guys, thank you.